Thank you, Randy. That was beautiful. <clears throat> I am not going to begin by reading the Old Testament lesson. It's quite a long passage, and I'm going to do it uh, as I work through the message today. It's the beginning of Lent, and during these Sundays, the messages will have the theme, Walk by Faith. Walk by Faith. And today's lesson uh, is about our first parents who failed to walk by faith, and the consequences of that action were uh, profound and certainly affect us even today. The theme of this sermon this morning is the choice, the choice. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and be our teacher today, and open your word to us that we might uh, understand it in our minds, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to, to believe it in our hearts and live it out in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> One choice, either good or bad, can have lasting results. Uh, and I'm sure you've experienced that in your own life. To take one example, many mistakes were made that led to the tragic sinking of the Titanic in April of 1912 and the deaths of over 1,500 people. But the singular mistake was the choice by Captain Edward J. Smith to sail at full speed through iceberg-infested waters, presumably to set a record for a cross-Atlantic, uh, 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 transatlantic crossing. Now, that choice was made with full knowledge that dangerous ice was present and also with the overconfidence that the Titanic was unsinkable. Well, history records the grim results of that choice. Every week I see in the jail those who have made poor choices in their lives, and many of those choices will have an impact on the rest of their lives and on the lives of family and those they love. And especially, you know, as we're younger, we don't often realize just how long-lasting some of the choices we make as youths will carry us, carry through for the rest of our lives. And so choose wisely, especially when you're young. But I'm thinking today of, of one good decision I made as I rose up today to call my wife blessed on her uh, birthday today, <clears throat> I was remembering and cognizant of that good choice of, of choosing her as my bride. And uh, she'll tell you, if truth be told, um, it was really God's choice. And, and he impressed upon me that, no, this, this independent, strong-willed woman really was the one I should choose, and I am grateful for that choice. 
We are creatures who are made to make choices. And if you look on the back of your bulletin, you'll see an outline there. And the first truth that's highlighted is choice comes from God. God created us to choose. Back in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, God gave Adam a choice. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you, are, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, the choice set before Adam was a true one. It's a true choice. He was not constrained by a fallen human nature to disobey God. He had been created in God's image. Martin Luther wrote, Man was created on the sixth day according to the image and similitude of God, so that his will was good and sound. Moreover, his reason and intellect was sound, so that whatever God wanted or said, man also wanted, believed, and understood the same thing. In this perfect state, Adam's will was, as Luther wrote, in agreement with the word and will of God. The same was true also for Eve. And so the decision made by Adam and Eve was one that was freely chosen. They were in a perfect state. Their, their, their faculties were perfect. Billy Graham once preached, You were not only made for a purpose. You were made with a will of your own. This will of yours is capable of obeying or disobeying, of choosing life or death, darkness or light, heaven or hell, sin or the Savior. If there is no will, there can be no true love. God wanted us to love him willingly with a free heart by choice. End of quote. Many modern philosophers and scientists believe that choice is actually an illusion, that the physical world is deterministic, and as physical entities in it, we are constrained by forces beyond our ability to understand or control. There is actually, according to them, no free choice. The Bible, however, declares that God is sovereign, and controls all things according to his will. He created creatures who were given a sovereign will. It is an aspect of being created in God's image. And so we have the ability to choose, given to us by God. Now, how God can be completely sovereign and his creatures truly free to choose is, in fact, a paradox. Logically, you can't have one. Um, you can have one or the other, but not both. Only God in his infinite wisdom can parse that riddle. But we have, Scripture tells us, God is completely sovereign and in control of all things, and yet he has given us the ability and the will the power to choose. God gave Adam a simple choice. 
either trust God's goodness and wisdom and experience only sheer goodness, joy, and love for eternity, or make the choice of self-determination. And that's the second point on our outline there. God gave Adam that simple choice, either to trust God's goodness and wisdom and experience only sheer goodness, joy, and love for eternity, or choose to go your own way. That's basically the choice set before Adam and Eve. Now, here we come to our lesson for our our scripture reading from the Old Testament from Genesis chapter 3, and we begin with verse 1 there. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal uh, the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, said the serpent to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Adam and Eve were seduced to make what they thought was a good decision. It would seem, as it did to Adam and Eve, that eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would enable them to make better choices. As we heard in our text, they thought it was desirable for gaining wisdom. In fact, it was not wisdom that would be gained but a false sense of self-determination. We should not be fooled by Satan's lies as our first parents were. Just think about it. God said that there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Until then, they had only known good. The garden was good, the food was good, the environment was perfect. In fact, everything was just right. Genesis 1.31 tells us, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. It was paradise. They already possessed the knowledge of good. Why would they want to know evil? This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Hmm. The serpent promised that they would be like God if they ate of it. But they were already like God. They were made in God's image. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not meant for them to gain wisdom, but to give the choice of either trusting God in his goodness 
or of self-determination to choose their own destiny. And even as I say that, for us Americans, you know, that, that seems somehow right, to choose our own destiny. You know, I think it's part of our, of our DNA as, as, uh, uh, in this country of, of self, um, self-determination. We want to be in control of our own lives. We want to decide or determine for ourselves what is good and what is evil. And that's really the choice that presented itself or God presented to Adam and Eve, to either trust God for what is good or to choose for ourselves what is good or evil. But to choose for ourselves... To do that, we depart from God, who is, as Luther described him in the large catechism, sheer goodness. God is sheer goodness. And if we are just going to decide for ourselves what's good, we turn away and turn our backs on God. In eating of the forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve rejected the purpose for which they had been created, to live in perfect fellowship with God. They chose a way instead of their own making. Satan tempted Adam and Eve by feeding them the lie that they could be self-determining, that they would, not, uh, they would not become actually like God. In fact, they would just become their own God. Pastor and theologian John Piper wrote, Satan's first design for humanity was to persuade Adam and Eve that they could be ultimately self-determining, that they would, and that this would be good for them. Well, both of those ideas, he says, were false. They could not become ultimately self-determining, and it was deadly for them to try. This is really the essence of sin. Not trusting that God's way is best, we then decide to do it our own way. We will decide for ourselves what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. When we seek to choose our own destiny apart from God, we are bound by our own fleshly desires, and then we no longer become truly free to choose. Now, we think we have that freedom. Oh, this is what I want. (laughs) But we are chained by our own sinfulness. Now, the two tactics that the serpent used to deceive Adam and Eve and the tactics that Satan still uses to deceive us is first to question God's word and second to question God's goodness. The serpent asked, did God really say? Question God's word. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die the serpent said to the woman. When we question God's word, we make God out to be a liar. 
Satan, or excuse me, Jesus called Satan the father of lies. And here it is, a blatant lie right from the beginning. It is really quite simple. Either we believe that Satan is lying or we believe that God is lying. 1 John 5.10 tells us, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Simple as that. The serpent then continued to question God's goodness. Verse 5 says, For God knows that when you eat from, your, uh, eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent planted the doubt in Eve's mind that God was not really good, that he, uh, that he had withheld actually the best from them. He was holding back on them. And Satan will try to convince us that God is holding out on us, that God, uh, that God does not, uh, that God has not given us what is best that he is not really good or gracious or kind. Satan then deceives us by convincing us that his will is really our will. It's what we really want, right? Listen to verse 6. Then the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, and she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. The fact is, is that we think we're exercising our own free will, but Satan's deception is to think that our will, or that, that his will, Satan's will, is really our own. We're making this choice for ourselves. This is really a summary of all sin. Sin looks delightful, And it seems so appealing and safe, right? The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. You know, you could safely eat it, right? This is good. The fact of the matter was that the garden was already full of delicious and appealing food. God had already provided abundantly for them. They didn't need to eat of this tree to find something good. God had already provided everything good for them. The hook was they thought they could become like God. In fact, to become their own God. Once the serpent deceived them to exercise their own will over God's will, their choice was no longer really free. Whenever we exercise our will against God's will, we're not really free. True freedom is only found in conformity with the will of God. He does want what is best for us. In the aftermath of a poor choice, our first parents learned the consequence of choosing poorly or choosing wrongly. Uh, Go to verse 7 in our passage, Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Well, Satan was right about one thing. The eyes of both of them were, in fact, opened. Now they could see their sin and shame, and they tried to cover it up. And then they tried to hide from God. Well, God comes along and asks some questions. And some people wonder, well, why is God asking Adam, where are you? Didn't he know? Well, God already knew the answers to the questions he was asking. He was asking them the questions so that they could take responsibility for their actions. You do this, you should do this with your, your children or grandchildren, you know, and they've done this. So is okay. What have you done? Right? What have you done? It's a very simple question, you know, um, to take, help them to take responsibility for their actions. But the fact is, is that Adam and Eve don't. They don't take responsibility. In fact, they pointed fingers and played the blame game. Adam even blamed God for giving him this woman in the first place, right? And that's the nature of sin. We don't own it. We try to pass the blame along to someone else. We point fingers, and that's what each of them did. The one real consequence of their choice was it destroyed their perfect fellowship with God. Once that relationship was broken, everything was broken. Their relationship with one another and even their relationship to their environment. But even with the unraveling of their perfect world, they learned the grace of God in poor choices. That's the final point of today's message, the grace of God in poor choices. Uh, Look at verse 14 and following. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate uh, fruit from the tree which I com- uh, about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. And this line, if you were here on Wednesday for Ash Wednesday, you would hear, have heard this. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Even after they made the wrong choice, God was still gracious and merciful to his human children. What God decreed here may sound uh, to us uh, to be terrible consequences, but God's goodness and grace shines even through each of them. And let's take a look at that. Over and over, the Bible tells us, right from the beginning to the end, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and full of loving kindness. The first example of God's grace is that God, in fact, delayed his judgment on them. They did not die immediately, right? God said, you're going to die, but he withheld the immediacy of that judgment. Uh, they did not immediately die physically, and that was grace. However, the process of physical death and deterioration did begin from that moment on and still with us today. Second, while they did experience spiritual death and enmity, that is, separation from God, the serpent Satan was exposed as their real enemy, and his harm, uh, and, God, and God decreed that his harm would be limited. And that was grace. Remember, God told the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Well, third, Eve would suffer the consequences of extreme pain in childbirth and a changed relationship with her husband, but she would also experience the joy of motherhood, and the human race would continue, even though through pain. And that, indeed, was itself grace. And fourth, while their environment was impacted and they no longer existed in a perfect balance with nature, nature itself became their adversary, one that they must fight against, still the ground would produce food to sustain them. And through their struggle to survive, they would learn to pray and trust God for their daily bread. And that was grace. And finally, we are told that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. This also was an act of grace. God properly clothed their nakedness. Animals were killed to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. 
And in doing this, God foreshadowed the ultimate act of sacrifice, the giving of his son as a sacrifice for our sin to cover our sin by his blood. To properly clothe us, as Isaiah 61.10 says, with a robe of righteousness. God made us to make choices. But God also makes choices. God chose to forgive and redeem fallen humanity. Ephesians 1.4 teaches that he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. When Jesus was tempted, as we heard in our gospel lesson for today, Jesus did not sin, but made the choice to obey God, the Heavenly Father. Our epistle lesson in Romans chapter 5 uh, teaches that for just as through the obedience of the one man, many were made sin, excuse me, just as through the disobedience of the one man, many were made sinners, uh, also... Uh, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. Adam's poor choice affected us all. Sin entered the world through one man, it says, and death through sin, and death came upon all because all have sinned. But in the same way, life and righteousness have come through Jesus Christ and his obedience. In, in verse 17 of our epistle lesson, we read, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? One act of sin uh, affected us all to this day. But the act of righteousness, the act of obedience in Christ brings life in righteousness by grace. In choosing disobedience, excuse me, let me start again. In choosing obedience, Jesus chose us. In choosing obedience, Jesus chose us. And now through the gospel, Jesus is calling us to choose him. Now, we can't do that on our own. There's nothing in us, in our sinful human nature, that would choose God and his righteousness. But through the gospel, the Holy Spirit enlightens us, enlightens our hearts, and empowers us to choose him. Through the gospel, the Holy Spirit's at work so that we have the ability to choose him. Now, we can still say no. We can, give the, we can grieve the Holy Spirit and reject God's grace. But even now, the Holy Spirit is calling you and I to God to choose him. We have a choice. In our sinfulness, we'll always choose wrong. But by God's grace and through the gospel, he's calling us to himself to make the right choice. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you 
for giving us a choice. And Lord, you are wooing us to yourselves and you want us to choose you to desire to be with you and and to experience your goodness and your grace forever. Oh Lord, if there's anyone who has never made that choice, has never called out to you, Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive my sin and, and that he rose again to give me the certainty of eternal life. Heavenly Father, I ask you to come into my heart and into my life as my Savior and Lord. And now, Lord, help me to live for you and to choose you every day, even as you now live in me. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.